0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Welcome in to a special edition, they're all special editions during football season, of the Jamie Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. The Dukes, they're 5-0 and and enjoying a bye week, a relatively stress-free week. Um. I don't know. There's waiver talk now. So am
2: I a little stressed out about this this waiver coming through? Maybe a little bit. No, I'm not at all. Uh, yeah, this might be the most stress-free Saturday I'll have in a long, long time. Um, but Saturday's game, I wasn't full of a lot of stress on Saturday's game.
1: No, maybe a little bit late with South Alabama making a quick run. But 31-23 felt like a, closer to a blowout than a one-possession win for a lot of the game. Yeah pretty yeah.
2: solid performance. You know what else is a really solid performance? What 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 the performances of 3 notched and the way they're able to just crank out Fantastic beer after fantastic beer. They're able to, you know, go into their back pocket, pull out a release from ten years ago, make it into a twenty twenty three beer, and absolutely make it amazing. They just dropped their new. I'm going to mispronounce it. Hydralian Red, which is, I believe, a red ale or something like that. One of their flagship beers. They've re released it with a new logo with a new uh, can on it. Can design. It's absolutely fantastic. You have to check that out if you're in the area of the Three Notch Valley Collab House or if. If you're in Richmond, Roanoke, Charlottesville, Virginia Beach, or out uh, over on the mountain, check out Three Notched. Absolutely. They also got Minuteman. Uh, Bennett's putting me on the spot to do all of these reads. They also right, got Minu- I
1: thought that was you're just rolling with that. But, yeah, they've, they've got <laughs> Minuteman Mondays, as you can see on the screen, or if you can't, if you're listening in. Tuesdays at the Valley House, you get half off a case. Pretty darn good deal. And it's Friday. We rarely record on Fridays. Um, But it's First Tap Friday, so a new brew every week. And we will be recording on another Friday in about a month.
2: I'm going to be honest. That may have been your smoothest transition through these Three Notched ads ever, because that's what I was going to say. We'll be recording live from the Three Notched Valley Collab House, 5 p.m. on November 17th, that Friday. So come listen to us talk. We're going to try and get a couple guests. Uh, We're going to try and kind of make it more of an interactive podcast where there's more talking and rather than us just talking endlessly uh, like we normally do, trying to get some some audience, quote-unquote, audience members. It might just be four of our friends just passing around a mic and talking JMU sports. But wherever it may go, uh, come on out. 5 p.m. at the Three Notched Valley Collab House. That's their first tap Friday, so you'll get $3 pours there. Uh, and then after at 7 p.m., the men's basketball team tips off, so we'll be heading over there, so a little pregame before the game. And then App State on Saturday is going to be an electric weekend. Another thing that's electric – There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and Weird cave and something else that people just can't stop talking about is the fact that football is back and bet online is still your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to the minute stats, news scores and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds spreads and totals from the NFL and college football all right at your fingertips with bet online's real time updates on statistics, news, news, and odds from week one all the way to the postseason, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device. To get in on the action, remember to use our promo code belief promo code B L E A V to get a fifty percent welcome to bon- welcome bonus on your first deposit. So you throw a hundred bucks in there on your first deposit, they'll hook you up with fifty free dollars to play around with. Bet online promo code B L E A V. It's where the game starts, and the game started for JMU back on Saturday with a noon kickoff against South Alabama. And our guy, Daniel Merriman, was in the press box covering that game for us. He's been doing a fantastic job so far this season, and we are pumped to bring in Daniel for today's show. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing on this Friday?
3: Oh, just excellent. Very, very excited to join you all, longtime watcher and listener of the podcast. <laughs> so it's an excellent uh, first visit and an excellent introduction as well. Thanks for that, Jack. Oh, that's what I'm here for. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Indeed.
1: That's right, we're making a lot of money. <laughs> Very true, Jack.
2: <laughs> well, can we get a vibe check on this Friday for the JMU football team? I mean, our, our students, you're a lot more tuned in now than we we are. So what are the vibes around this football team from a student perspective? Because on Twitter, I think we all know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are a little bit of a sicko and are really plugged into JMU football Twitter. But how, how is it on campus with the students who may not be reading every single press release that ever comes out about this team?
3: Uh, the general vibe on campus is we are 5-0 and o again. <laughs> it's it's kind of a just, I don't know, there's so much turnover within this offense especially, which is what a lot of students focus on. Most people aren't exactly the, the closest football watcher that takes a look at the defensive line techniques like some of the sickos <laughs> here do. But we – we really have a lot of turnover on our skill positions and at quarterback. And the fact that we are now still five and zero with those new people in place with Jordan playing the way that he has with Elijah Surratt stepping in, there's been an overall excitement that it's not just a one-off one year. Oh, we're an FBS, but we had the right guys. We had some generational talents like Percy, like Chris that really were leading us into this new era. No, this is a consistent thing. We are going to be good year in and year out and, We've been very supportive. Everyone I've talked to has been super excited about this team. There's been watch parties all over the place. Everyone's coming out to games and tailgating. I know the ticket prices for some of the student tickets uh, this past week were upwards of 40 and $50 just to get into the game. So that type of, uh, yeah, and that's a free student ticket, by the way, for those who (laughs) haven't had the new student option. But all of that to say, this team has been very well supported uh, in Harrisonburg, and the campus is truly rallying around them. I'm really, really excited to see what they do going forward. But so far, we've been, been very supportive and very tapped in.
1: That's good to hear. Yeah, that's a, a good insight. I said lose my cloud cover and get blinded poorly <laughs> during this podcast. But uh, Daniel, I was curious. You mentioned McLeod playing well. Stats for Jordan McLeod at quarterback are awesome, at least for me. he like Not mostly- the third quarter. He He mostly passes the eye test, but you've been in some of the press conferences with Kurt Signetti. I guess, what do you make of his um, comments about Jordan McLeod, the offense in general, and then sort of the the third quarter in the the play calling there? What can you take away from Signetti's recent press conferences?
3: Signetti has had almost a bipolar approach to some of his responses. On one end, you get, We're really doing what we need to do. The guys are flying everywhere. The effort is concise. Everyone loves how it is that we're putting our effort towards these games. And then you talk about the execution for more than five seconds and he gets upset very quickly and you can tell the difference between an offensive and a defensive question based on his vibe and on his answers. Jordan has left some plays out there that has been very well known, that has been very established. And I think that all of us here can say that with 100% honesty, he's missed some. And that's been someone his receivers, some on his reads. But in general, for just taking a look at the eye test overall, he has played very well. He's really stepped up, especially considering he destroyed his leg. The last time he played football, the pocket awareness is coming back. You saw that in the South Alabama game. The reads are there, maybe not as quick as you'd like, but they're there. And I think his ability to also drop it into a check down and say, hey, Kalon, go and get me five, six, seven yards. Hey, Reggie, here's a seven-yard comeback route. He's starting to get those intermediate reads instead of just the deep ball and just the check down that I'm really starting to like. Yeah. And I think that they're gonna build upon that and have a more holistic approach to this offensive, uh, offensive attack in the past game. But yeah, he's looked very, very well to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's times where you see him kind of lock in on one receiver or even just go through his two reads and then uh, things might kind of break down on him. But you're right. There has been that progression from week one, or I guess second half against Bucknell, to where we are now, where he's more going through reads. He might get to his third progression and he's able to let it rip and kind of go from there as Bennett left us, then rejoined us. Really glad to have you back here, Bennett. Thank you so much for taking the time. You put the blinds down. I really I do appreciate down. that. Yeah. Um, but overall, I I, I know when, whenever you're covering the game, we're texting you in the group chat kind of like, what are the vibes in the press box? Because I think it was a few games ago against, I forget even who they played at home. Was Bucknell. it the Bucknell game? Yeah, Where we, we, were we only had you? two home games. Yeah. <laughs> That's so wild. Though. But we were texting you during the Bucknell game, and we are just like, what's happening up there? Because at that point, it was the second half, and you were just like, oh, vibes are are iffy. It's there's kind of this feel this restlessness feeling right now in the press box. Can you compare Bucknell's game to the first half of South Alabama? Cause it seems like those are two vastly different teams. So I would love to know kind of how the media was feeling and how just the overall vibes were. I know I've used that word 15 times this podcast already, but in the press box during that South Alabama kind of beat down of the first half
3: overall, overall, The press box, especially in the first half of that Bucknell game, was abysmal. There was not a smile in the room. There was not a good word to be said. It was just, oh, wow. And it wasn't a good wow. (laughs) (laughs) To start the year, there was a lot of question marks. Unfortunately, Alonzo did not put his best foot forward. But I think a real turning point in that game and in the season overall was that deep pass to Reggie Brown right at the seam from Jordan McLeod in the second half where he laces one over the top for 50 yards on a beautiful ball and everyone goes, okay, that looks more like it. There we go. And that momentum continued. And obviously you've had some different games you've won in different ways between Bucknell and between South Alabama. But to start this first half of the South Alabama game, the vibes were at an all time high. That stadium was rocking everyone And I mean, everyone in the building, even the South Alabama reporter who I was sitting next to, as well as the Kansas City Chief Scout that was there, and as well as a CFL scout who was three seats down from me. Everyone's going, Oh, that's a pro throw. There we go. That's a 60 or no, excuse me, a 40 yard scramble. Like, those are the plays that we need to be seeing for this team's offense to be consistently aggressive and explosive. And that's what they've been. I think the Zach Horton play really opened up a lot of eyes because we haven't seen him in the receiving game nearly as much as we maybe could have expected compared yeah. to last year's production at tight end where Todd really liked to to target those TEs. And he's been really, really having good games, been blocking excellently. But to see Horton pop off two big ones, with two after-contact, uh, just massive, massive yak plays is awesome to see. I was, again... Super excited to see that first half one where he broke off, I believe for 40 odd yards and then the 66 yarder. It was well in the second half. There was just really, really good energy in the room. A lot of people were excited. Uh, Shane Metlin of the DNR, who's sitting down again, a couple of seats away from me, uh, just had more more good things to, to tweet about, <laughs> I would say, than, than anything and was having a better overall, better time than Bucknell. because yeah. It was an ugly half of football in Bucknell. I know we were up but that was not uh, not a pleasant pleasant press experience to sit through. We we're all writing down questions of what we we're going to ask Signetti afterwards instead of watching the game at a certain point. Uh, but South Alabama, you were tuned in, you were locked in and watching the show.
1: Yeah, no, it was a, a much better performance, a much better team. And they seem like they've improved a decent amount the, the last few weeks. But what do you make of um, some of the th- slow third quarters? Is it an energy thing where they've got these big leads? Is it Purely execution, I know Signetti seems kind of frustrated with some of the execution from your vantage point, what you've heard, and I guess what are, what's the problem in the third quarter for the team?
3: I feel like the third quarter has been a mix of a lot of different things. It's yeah. been a lack of execution. It's been an adverse ability to, to call pass plays on longer first and second downs. It's the ability to say, hey, if this isn't working, we need to throw in something weird here. I have not seen a a first or second and 10, you know, end around or a jet sweep or something to say, hey, maybe we do a flea flicker. Like it doesn't have to be crazy, but to switch it up and give the defense a look that they haven't seen all game would provide, I think, a lot of, of nuance to this offense that right now to start off the second half, it really doesn't have. I think the energy has been consistent. There's been good periods of just quality offensive line play pushing the pile getting those three yards in a cloud of dust and that's great except if you do it twice and then miss two passes oh wait it's turnover on down it's their ball so I think it's a really big combination of also we've been leading most of the time in the third quarter so Cignetti's been turtling a little bit and actually a little bit a lot of it but (laughs) there's been just several moments where you you kind of question okay on Second and 23, do we really need a halfback draw here? Okay, on on third and three, why are we dialing up two verticals and a crossing route? Like just some some questionable situational play calls mixed in with odd situations have led to uh, execution not being there in the third. And the defense has been on the field so much, they're getting tired quick. So that, that also is a big part of it, I think.
2: Yeah, you, that's, that's a perfect segue into this next thing because Jamie's defensive line is just – not as deep as they kind of expected coming into the season. Abby Nwaba Kuakonji goes down with an injury. They're kind of just a little bit beaten and battered just across. I think Emmanuel Bush went down. I'm not sure if he ever came back into the game against South Alabama, but he came out with an injury at one point. And you see it in the first quarter, in the first half, this team – is generating very high amount of pressure. They're not letting you get any of anything going in the run game. They're really making quarterbacks have happy feet, really start to push the issue and 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 speed up their processing in the pocket. And then back half of the second quarter into the third quarter, the team kind of you can kind of see the offensive line for the opponent starts to win a little bit more. They're able to dominate the trenches more and more and more, and that's when they're starting to get the more chunk plays. They're starting to kind of chip away from the lead, and that's when kind of we see things start crumbling down. The offense starts doesn't they don't hold up there of the bargain. Then when they need it, the fourth quarter they rise up to the challenge as tough as it may be, but they have the stamina. They've gotten their conditioning in clearly, and they're able to make the play when they need to uh, in the second half. But overall, that was my long-winded entry into this 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 next kind of. This next question of the second half, they still played really well. The defense that may have been their best game from first to last whistle. What what has it been with this defense from your perspective? And and honestly, your opinion overall, because I'm not entirely sure. How is this defense taking that stride forward and getting better
3: week in and week out? I think they're getting better in different facets and in different speeds i think the linebackers have done a phenomenal job of getting downhill being able to stop the run and just clogging up the middle of the field however that sideline to sideline play i think is still a little bit working it's still in a little bit of development with torres as well as jaywalk they both can fly into the flat in about two seconds and aiden fisher has done that plenty of times however trent hendrick and aiden sometimes you see them just sticking in the box for a second too long. The defensive line takes maybe a half a second longer to get into the backfield and get to the quarterback's face. And then the weakness of this team shows. And in the second half, the secondary is really, I think, the storyline. When we see that we're up, in an example, the South Alabama game, Quarterbacks have to throw more. I was uh, was trying to conjure up a stat earlier this week, and I was taking a look at the passing stats. From the start of the second quarter to the end of the game, Carter Bradley threw 40 times. 40. <laughs> Jordan McLeod threw 22 times the whole game. <laughs> so that's, that's something – And when we're getting targeted that heavily on a weakness of this team, regardless of how quickly they're improving the pieces that they've thrown in, the hands that they're getting up, you're going to get beat by by D1 receivers. That's just the name of the game. And playmakers are going to make plays. That's the story, I think. It's just the competition is better. The defense has taken a second longer to actualize and to get that in the quarterback's face. And then when it gets anywhere past – 10, 8, 10 yards. The secondary is put on an island because they also do stack the box pretty heavily. They bring that Rover in to blitz from the side, like a Chris Chuck like a Jarius Remenek. So every time you have that and you can't get there immediately, like you may in the first half, there's going to be problems on the back end. So I think that's the true, true worry of this second half is how quickly the front seven can get there and how long the secondary yeah. has to hold on.
1: What a weird team five and oh they're like one of the worst third down offenses in the country they go through long spells without doing anything offensively and they're like maybe the best team in the sunbelt like what a really strange start to the (laughs) year
2: well every sunbelt team has like a glaring flaw like marshall it's they don't know what offense is troy it's also they don't know what offense is georgia state they just refuse to play defense uh for jmu it's their glaring flaws that they're a fantastic team for the first 30 minutes of game time.
3: It's terrifying to watch because if this team figures it out, oh my god, but, everyone's screwed. Yeah, but that's a yeah, you're
2: right. It's it's a it's <laughs> that if that like I would love for the, it's funny. Every week I go into it, and I'm like, I text Ben and I go, if they can win this game, I'm all in. Like I think when they were three and and0 I was like, if they go five and oh, I'm a full believer. Then we finished the game and I was texting Ben and I was like, all right, so they still got this to figure out this to figure out. I'm not bought in yet. And it's been that way like every week. And against Utah State, it was like, okay, if they can go in and blow out the Aggies on the road in Logan, Utah, all things considered, I'm all in on this team. What they get up like 31 to seven, and then they can't hold on. And at the end of the game, I'm like, that might as well have been a loss. Might as well be 0-5 at this. But this is
3: there. Like this team gives me heart palpitations. Oh, indeed. I think compared to last year as well, we see a middle Tennessee game where they win 44 to seven in the opener and everyone goes, Oh, are, is middle Tennessee just horrible or are we great we didn't know we had no clue I still don't and know. now we're looking for what, what it's worth game. I still don't know I don't know if that
2: middle Tennessee team was good or bad I mean I don't
3: know <laughs> that's they beat Miami and made a bowl so I can't uh, they were at least okay but to take a comparison to this season there really hasn't been that game yet there hasn't been a convincing blowout even against Bucknell everyone went what just happened we We had so much turmoil at at the quarterback position to start. Now in the secondary, seeing so many faces getting moved in and out of that and production varying from game to game drastically. I mean, if you take the secondary's performance when they were at Troy and put that against Utah State, that game is a three-touchdown win for JMU. Yeah. And that's not – I don't think that's a particularly hot take. So it's just been some confusion, some consistency issues, and just really, really weird football so far. Good football, 5 and 0. Oh, 5 0. Oh.
2: 5 0 oh is 5 and 0. Oh. You're right. And they have the best record on the road in
3: the FBS. So, indeed, with a lot of miles under their legs already. Very happy the bye week came when it did. And I am happy we also get now a South Alabama home game and up next a Georgia Southern home game. Two good yeah. tests, but staying in Bridgeforth.
1: Gosh, what a time. Just a quick, quick thought, Daniel. What are your thoughts on the Georgia Southern Marshall? Ah, uh, two game stretch coming up is is seven and zero likely possible? What do you what do you get the the vibes of the team? What have you seen from sort of their confidence and if they think they can keep building on this?
3: I think that this team has a general sense of displeased, and that's a really good thing. I think Signetti has said it; it's been vocalized amongst many different members of the offense and defense. There's still things we need to improve and to be 5 and 0 and to be annoyed that you're not as good as you want to be is a great thing. I think that there's plenty of momentum within this team to get some guys back, for example, possibly a Torres Jones this next week. Where if you start to get those key players, especially at linebacker back, if you start to have some consistency amongst the run game, if the offensive line gels the way that it could because you're returning all these guys or just moving them around to some different positions after the Kidwell injury, there's a lot of moving cogs that this team is like 0.5% away from figuring out, I feel like that they're just on the cusp, just on the lip of. And I think that that secondary is a little farther away than most, but it's still improving, and it's still is so incredibly young that these game reps are invaluable. The bye week has come at a great time because of that ability to heal, because of that ability to take a look at some film, to do some self-scouting. I hope there's some serious self-scouting done towards the offensive um, passing game, because I think that there's just been some Some predictability. I mean, the double move that Elijah Surratt had in that first half on the first passing completion of the game to get Jordan McLeod a touchdown is the first double move I've seen all season go for an explosive play. That can't be that can't be a one-off. That needs to be something that we're throwing in more and more and including more wrinkles of maybe a Jordan McLeod designed run. Like these things that you clearly have the personnel for need to be capitalized on. And I think with a week off, they're going to be able to include and incorporate some of those new aspects into their offense, which is just gonna make them I I think frankly unstoppable. I think if they average more than 35 a game for the rest of this season, I wouldn't be shocked. Because there's not a Sun Belt East defense that scares me, especially you have UConn in there too. Yeah, there's a lot of high scoring games I think incoming for the Dukes.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And before we let you go, before to enjoy your Friday evening of 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 studying at James Madison University, uh, here heading into the bye week, I want to know who
3: your team MVP is. It's a great question. I think the team MVP first of all, has to come from defense. I think that that's just the makeup of this team, how they've been winning ball games, and I think that the offense has performed well, but there has not been a standout to say that they've been an MVP yet. McLeod would be my choice if you had an offensive MVP so far. I believe on the defense, it's going to be in between two players. I'm going maybe three. I'll say two for now, Aiden Fisher and James Carpenter. I think that between the two of them, they're both – so impactful they've provided so much havoc to especially the run game but Aiden Fisher as well starting to pick up receivers across the middle of the field this past game truly showing that sideline to sideline ability and just being a defensive monster in the backfield with some pass breakups with the interception tipping another one to D'Angelo Pons in the Utah State game those type of plays of getting your hands in the passing lanes getting a solo tackle six yards deep with 40 seconds left in the game that tfl on the last drive for south alabama was huge and i think that he's truly stepped up and has played excellently would i'm incredibly excited to see what he does for the rest of the season i'm excited to see if they have another three linebacker package with him jaywalk and torres coming back and if it's only two linebackers he's still a starter in my opinion i don't know which one of the two is bounced, but one of them is not going to see the field nearly as much i i agree And then for James Carpenter, his stats – kind of haven't shown how impactful he has been. If you watch him every down, and I've gotten close to it now, especially for the South Alabama game, he eats double teams alive in the middle. That center and guard are fighting for their life every play when he lines up against them. And if you just put a center on him, I'm sorry. It's not going to end well. I don't care what level of it is, if it's power five, if it's group of five, he's a game wrecker in the middle. He provides so much gravity for these ends to make plays, and we saw that this past week with Jalen Green having a monster afternoon. Truly, he is the key that unlocks the production that this D-line gets and his A-gap ability to just put out his arms and swallow running backs up and not allow them to get past the three- and four-yard line, let alone the second efforts he makes to get tackles well deep into the field once he gets off a block and is going downfield. That ability and hustle, knowing where the ball is at and always being around it, is why I think I'm going to give him my team MVP so far. Love it.
1: Great pick.
2: 10 out of 10 picks. So, Daniel, thank you so much for taking a little time out of your Friday evening to join us, talk a little JMU football. We hope to have you on again. And excited for what you pump out for that Georgia Southern game in about two, one and a half weeks at this point now?
3: Yeah, in and about. I think it is next Saturday, so eight days. Can't wait. I'll be covering in the press box. You see my at on the screen at DanielTFXC. Please follow me there and follow along. Be writing some pieces after the game as well. I ask questions in the press conference. So if you have anything that you want to get asked, please let me know. Uh, but I appreciate you boys having me on. Jack and Bennett, you have an excellent rest of the afternoon. And go Dukes, 5-0. and Yes, sir. Have a great rest of your Friday. See you, man. Thank you. Bye. Love it.
1: Good insights there, indeed.
2: Duke's five and zero. Oh. I, I still am, am honestly uh, taking it back that we are five and zero.
1: Oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a heck of a start to the year, and they have some some obvious flaws, but they're uh, finding ways to win. They do have some strengths, right? I'm I'm impressed by the defensive line. Uh, I think the announcers were impressed in the South Alabama game by a transitioning team having that kind of defensive yeah. line. They're making some plays. They got a lot of guys who are making plays, and we'll see if the run game can come around. But otherwise, I think pretty good so far.
2: Yeah. And before we move into some of our first out success rates, some more our overarching things (laughs) around this team. I think that leads us perfectly into uh, uh, some sort of quote unquote film breakdown. I guess we used to do these uh, for a Patreon. We stopped doing them for a bit, Um, but Bennett had a few plays that he wanted to talk about. And I wanted to talk about that. And so, sorry. technical difficulties with videos. (laughs) I I always mess it up. Uh, But a few plays in the second half, mainly because Kurt Signetti said they were dropping eight at times in the pass game. And Bennett and I both are a little taken aback at that because I think we watched the same game as Kurt Signetti and we weren't entirely sure that they were quote dropping eight. Uh, So there were a few key plays. There were a few times they dropped eight. There were other times that I think Jordan McLeod made the wrong read and it set them up for failure. And there's also a few times where it worked out well for them, where things were correct and they picked up a few yards. Tyshawn Wyatt had a really good pull block um, and things of that sort. And then I also want to show Bennett something I haven't told him about uh, after we do looking at the quick, quick video. And it's just a really interesting kind of two play summary of the day. So this play is in the third quarter, um, 548 to go in the third quarter. It's a third down and 12. Um, So I think you all know where this one's going, but it's a third down and 12 and you play the video a little bit and you look. So inside the tackle box, so that's outside hip of the right tackle to outside hip of the left tackle and about five to six yards ish uh, up the field. So you go there and for our podcast listeners who aren't watching, you count them. You got X's one, two, three, four, five. Six, maybe seven guys in the box. This is a third and 12. You're lined up in the shotgun. Latrell Palmer, one yard back from Jordan McLeod in the gun. This is a perfect time. Maybe it is a called RPO, and it's just kept by McLeod, right? You know? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So we're going to play this out a little bit. Right at the RPO, at the mesh point, I circled at the top of the screen. There's one DB playing two receivers. There's a second defensive back at the first down marker. But if you hit him quick enough, he should be able to be out in the open flat and find his way into some green space. But So the mesh point happens, handoff to Latrell Palmer, and he goes right into probably eight South Alabama Jaguars.
1: That one looks pretty designed runny to me with them like immediately blocking too, which on third and 12 is just like laying down if, yeah, if that's the case. Running. So this
2: one's 15 seconds in the third quarter. Back uh play, play goes, they have four guys on the line of scrimmage, one guy up the other three in a two in a uh, three technique. Now he's your best threat running the ball hands they off and Kalon's able to cut it up and get whole... on the first down run watch it in slow motion here. He's able to on the first down run pick up at about eight yards. And this is the one time that I think they executed a run really well.
1: I like I thought they did some nice stuff with the two tight ends where they're both lined up off the offensive line on on each side. I thought that was fairly creative and um interesting but also spoke to and we'll get into this the lack of second half trust in Jordan McLeod where it was like That's we're gonna run like the you. ball and we're going to use two tight ends. You see it again here, two tight ends to run the ball. Like we're running it. Two tight ends uh, running back
2: kind of in the pistol here. Yeah. So, like Yeah. Also count them one, two, three, four, five guys going up into the line of scrimmage at the snap of this play. You're not dropping eight. I don't know. We're dropping it. And then not only that on the second level, you have two linebackers, who've their first two steps are towards the line of scrimmage. So now we are at five guys attacking in the trenches. We're with two linebackers playing within three yards of the line of scrimmage. And the two safeties are playing within seven yards of the line of scrimmage. I don't know where dropping it came from, but here it's going to be a paused video. I believe this is the interception.
1: No, it was a it was a third down pick.
2: Okay. This is then just even better, a run up the gut into And then look at he's
1: he's screaming at him. Like, yes, that
2: was- we're gonna do this one in slow motion again. Uh f- and you hand I it think off to keep that. He is he hands it off and immediately looks to the sideline. I don't know if he's in his ear being told you should have kept that. Or what? And he's like, I, I, th- there was a they guy. A, I
1: don't, I don't well, remember with college. Do they have a headset? Yeah, I think that, I think actually I don't know. I can't remember if they did in college or not. But either way, they're telling him something. But or but, either he thinks he made it wrong or he hates the play call. But whatever it is, there's a weird back and forth during this game.
2: That and also we were we were kind of harping on McLeod. He needs to keep it more on these RPOs. He needs to let it rip. If you watch the edge, the edge defender on his side each time they're not diving in to stop like they are holding their ground, which means if you're like a very basic read option, RPO, if the edge defender doesn't dive in to stop the run, you have to hand it off. If they're holding that outside edge, you can't normally beat them around the outside edge. So when we're like, he has to keep it looking back on the film. I don't know if he should have kept it. This play empty set. This is the interception. One, two, three, four, five, six guys within a one yard area of the line of scrimmage this is a fantastic play by south alabama so we're going to snap the ball they're going to show that they are rushing six Mm -hmm. but it's a fake blitz because the second the two edges get into their block they are going to peel off and play coverage so in reality it is only a four man simulated pressure and it's going to get to mcleod within two seconds of him snapping the ball he's going to roll out set his feet Does a fantastic job at setting his feet, pointing his hips. And you hear it there. He's intercepted. Um, Just a wild play.
1: (laughs) Pretty funny one where um, whoever, I guess, Stevens got pretty, pretty clearly fooled by the fake blitz, right? So the defensive lineman is just untouched going to McLeod. Yeah. Um, So a nice a nice call there. South Alabama also did some nice things
2: defensively. What, what traits or qualities does he have Here's another run about. into a stacked box. Not sure where they're dropping eight.
1: That's the stuff that doesn't make sense, where it's like, he he's like, you know, they're dropping eight a lot. It's like, they did a couple times drop eight. So they this is the like 26 second half plays. Is that right? Something like that. And like you said, I think you said 20 of them were runs. <laughs> like they didn't drop eight 26 times. Um, and then not
2: only that, this is the play though, where they run it. So they bring him out into motion from the pistol to the side of McLeod. They're going to hand it off. I mean, every single defender's first two steps are towards the line of scrimmage, which means they are just 100% selling out for the run at this point. Um, Lawton picks up two, three yards on first down. So technically a non-successful first down run. But then the very next play here, fourth fourth quarter, 1147 to go. Play action wide open is Zach Horton. Man, Zach Horton.
1: Zach Oh, he's oh. still going. Makes a guy miss for
2: the second time today. Zach Horton is in the end zone. And and I'm gonna be honest, this is the type of play calling I love. You set him up with that three, yeah. four, five yard run on first down, and then you see what their tendency is, which the entire second half was taking those one or two steps forward from the linebackers in the second level, and then you just dink it over their head. That's the type of play calling where you can scheme things together, you can put together the game plan sequencing, the play call sequencing, and you can get to the point where you can go run, run, pass, and it's okay because it the two runs are setting up the pass.
1: Did they throw a pass after that? No, I don't think so. I don't think he did either. Um, he didn't. <laughs> so that's what we complain about when it's like, nice, play action pass. We're not doing that for the final 10 minutes. We're not even going to think about it. Here, here's a
2: play, though. I want I want to get your take on. So this is a play that was run in the first half and the second half. I'm not going to talk much over it. We'll, we'll react to it after it. And so... Oh, crap. Wrong one. I'm really not good at these videos.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's it's
2: Oh, I weird. see what I did wrong. Okay. So give me one second. Uh, this is technical difficulties. This so... is great podcasting, folks. Let's just fast forward here to the end. Here it is.
0: Starting at the Jaguars,
2: 44. Jordan McCloud rolling, throwing to Zach Horton down the sideline. Still going, stayed in bounds. Zach
1: Horton. That that got thrown. Second half. I thought originally it was thrown. Motion, on the play
2: action, and that's
1: a break wide open. He has Horton. It's the
2: exact <laughs> same play. He has Horton. And just doesn't throw it. Like there was the same amount of separation that he got a touchdown with in the first half. I wanted to get your reaction to that.
1: (laughs) I remember that in the moment. It's. I think that's why Signetti gets so mad. Probably like at us because we're sort of leading the charge of like they don't throw it enough in the second half, where they start second halves calling pass plays and he just misses wide open reads, like takes dumb sacks, throws horrible interceptions. And seeing that, he's like, what the, like, all right, we'll do tight ends and just like try to finish the game. Then like, I don't understand what's happening. And he's, he's kind of said that impressors where he's like, I don't understand why, like, I, <laughs> I don't know why he does this in the third quarter.
2: I mean, there are points when I was watching back the game, specifically the second half where there were times I was like, okay, this is on play calling, but there were other times that I was yeah. like, okay, McLeod is messing this up. Like that play right there. You have Horton with the same amount of separation. And instead of rolling out it's also a play action bootleg he takes two steps feels the pressure and just like step back into it yeah like and it's like i can't stress it enough for the podcast listeners it was the exact same play going the same way just on the opposite hash so they made it go the other way so instead of going having motion man go far side near side then have horton leak out from near side they went near side, far side, and had Horton leak out from the far side. That was the only difference. It was just weird, man.
1: There's definitely some execution stuff where it's like maybe McLeod makes the wrong read. Maybe he bounces a throw that they have like a first down pass that like the guy's wide open. Reggie Brown dropped three balls on Saturday. I think yeah. a lot of them are in the first half. Like those kind of things are are drive killers that can, can hurt you a little bit. So some of it is execution. I think some of it is also play calling where after some of these happen, Signetti goes – Nope. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. So we're just going to run it every play until we get like that. I think he called it a sucker play. The one to Zach Horton that went for the second touchdown um, that I guess they trust him to throw to like a 10 yard pass to a wide open tight end. And that was kind of it in the second half, which was weird.
2: It's a very weird thing. I've never seen this before in college or professional football at any level, really at any level where a player is arguably a contender for sunbelt player of the year. For seventy five percent of the game, statistically, <laughs> and then for twenty five percent of the game, he plays like a fourth string guy.
0: I'll, it's, I'll
2: read it's amazing. Like he is, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the Sun Belt in the first, second, and fourth quarter.
1: I'll read one Signetti quote that I have in News or Snooze because I, I don't want to have them all in there. Uh, He says, we've got to get better execution from the quarterback position on third down. I think he misspoke. This is the Sunbelt coach's call, and the whole conversation was about the third quarter. Um, It could work either way, given their third down conversion percentage. So uh, maybe he meant down, but I think he meant quarter. But anyway, uh, and he said, and he knows it, referring to Jordan McLeod. It's evident when you watch the tape. I don't know what's going on there. We feel like we're getting a lot of bad habits coached out of Jordan, coming from two programs that didn't win. To a program that wins a lot. Just a unnecessary just <laughs> drive-by on Arizona and USF. But love it. And then he goes, I don't think it'll be an issue going forward, but we made the adjustments we had to make to win the ball game. Sort of held on. Displeased that we didn't finish them the way we should have. Utah State also. But the bye week comes at a good time. Fascinating that he's straight up like, yeah, I turtled. I had to turtle. Like we would have, <laughs> we would have lost if I didn't turtle.
0: I...
2: I respect it. JM at the end of the day JMU's 5 and 0. Like He's right. He's they right. they're winning the games, they're doing what they need to do. But man, the second half splits, the 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 quarter splits are just so weird. And I think it comes down to this and I want to get your take. I think it's because he turtles. And I know he refers to this. He goes, "Well, in Utah State, we went pass 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 to start the second <laughs> half." Okay. And then you didn't do it again. Like, I think there's a a subconscious thing where McLeod's like, I'm only going to have seven pass attempts this half. I have to do everything I can to get more. So in these seven opportunities, I'm going to try and score a touchdown. Maybe he's not like consciously thinking that, but something along the way has like made him think that. And I believe that's why then he forces things that play action rollout. He threw into triple coverage. He rolls out. I mean, technically, he does everything that you want a quarterback to do in those situations. Roll out, get away from pressure, set your feet, point your hips, deliver a a, a catchable ball. Unfortunately, it was just catchable for the Jaguars defense. He should have rolled out, maybe extended the rollout a little bit more and lob it out of bounds. I think when Signetti says they're coaching a lot of losing habits out of him, that's a very valid thing. Not that Arizona and USF are terrible programs, which they are. It's that like, he may have these habits because he has been rehabbing a broken everything in his leg. So there may be things in the back of his head that he's still trying to say, I can do this on my leg.
1: There could be some of that. There could, I know some people have floated the idea of rust. Some of it is like, maybe he's just like still developing as a quarterback. Like maybe he's not well an NFL player. You know what I mean? Like he's probably just got some limitations in terms of how good he is. I just don't like when they don't trust him in the second half. Cause like the throw he made to win the game against Utah state, Reggie Brown was not his first read. It's like a second and nine. He looks the other way, comes back to Reggie Brown, throws the ball like 15 to 20 yards gets clocked in the pocket and it goes for a touchdown. it's like, that's a like, you got to trust him to figure it out that he will like over the course of the third quarter and in the fourth quarter eventually start to play better you can't be like well I threw it two out of the first three plays in the second half yeah the fans want to see passing which that's that's also not true the fans aren't like oh we just we we love how pass plays look no the success rate on runs in the second half is abysmal fans just want to see wins and they're getting them but they're multiple times you're letting teams back into the game that you don't need to I mean that's the problem
2: so far this season, Jamie's offense has run 62% of their their first down plays as running plays. A first down play has only, for a run has only been a successful run 45% of the time. So 62% of the time, they are doing something that works 45% of the time. That's not a great split. 34% of the time, they're running a pass on first down. And 54% of those passes are successful. And a successful pass or run is a play that garners 50% or more of the yardage needed to get a first down. So if it's first and 10, that first down play generates five yards or more. But the real issue, I think, in all of this is not that they're running it. It's that the run is so incredibly bad this season. This this running game, and I'm going to bring up EPA and Bennett, I'm ready for you to make fun of me is averaging negative 0.098 points added per rush. So if we round up by 0.002, which is not a lot, they're averaging a tenth of a point off of the scoreboard each time they run. So for every 10 runs, it's taking a point off of the scoreboard. And mind you, they're running it 50 times a game.
1: So I, I guess for like for any casuals listening, and I don't know Sorry. how many casuals are listening – but for, for people listening, I guess, is it fair to say that, like, the second half running is contributing as much or similarly to McLeod's mistakes with, like, teams coming back? I guess, how do you look at those? I – I,
2: and, and we texted about this, and, and I know what you're going to say from the rebuttal, so I'm prepared. But I don't see the difference in running three plays and punting, like run, 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 punt, then what a pass, 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 punt is in 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 terms of like if your end goal is to get a first down you're not doing it like what what does it matter if it's an incomplete 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 punt that goes from first and 10 to third and 10 to a punt then a run for 2 yards a run for 4 yards and then a run getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage like to me those are t- two of the same and and I'm ready for your
1: rebuttal the clock would be signetti's argument right would be yeah. if i run the ball i can burn however many minutes. And if we string a few first downs together, but they're
2: not like, that's the thing they're not. And just from a overall, we have a large enough sample. Now it's been four games against FBS teams. Offensively, they're averaging 0.26 points added per drop back. That's 48th in the nation. That's pretty darn good. So nearly, I mean, essentially more than double what a rush is doing. A rush is taking off 0.1 uh, point per rush a dropback is adding 0.26 points to the scoreboard for, for comparison's sake the rushing attack is the 108th most efficient in the nation there's only 133 teams that are being measured like I would argue that if you passed it eight straight plays like they did against okay so South Alabama they finished the game off one two three four one two three Four, five, six, seven. The last seven first downs against South Alabama were all rushes. Of those seven first down rushes, only two of them gained five yards or more. I would argue that if you ran a pass for seven straight first downs, you would come away with more successful plays.
1: I think that's a fair argument.
2: I'm going to say all of that. They are five and oh. Like I, I gotta keep telling myself that they have won five games in a row. They're the most winning program in the FBS on the road this season. Like they are good, you know. Like they're a good team. They're the, the, they have flaws, but Signetti has found out ways to coach around them and pull out wins. I know they're one possession wins, but they're pulling out wins.
1: Yeah, they're they're winning. I think Signetti is a great coach. Like I love him at JMU, and as much as. um He said some stuff about McLeod, which I think some fans and maybe even myself at times are like, oh gosh, like interesting to say that publicly. No, just keep saying it publicly. Like it's so much more fun when he's honest about what's happening with the team than him during like fall camp when he won't say anything. Yes. This is like, keep saying stuff, keep going, keep coaching your heart out. You are. He's
0: He's a—he's awesome.
2: He's the perfect coach for JMU right now. Like, I think he is the
1: perfect fit. He's a better coach than Houston. He's a better coach than Withers. Like he's well, yeah, I'm a better coach than Withers. He's probably the best coach they've ever had. Mickey Matthews. I Matthews had some down years. Yeah, where they a lot were of down years. I think I
2: don't think it's an argument. I think it's Signetti. Signetti's the best coach.
1: I think he's a great coach. He's phenomenal. He's woefully underpaid, like based on the USA Today stuff, with like he's similar to like some other like bad Mac teams or some Sunbelt squads. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, like how are we getting him? for that. And I've, I know I've seen some people who are like, he would never leave unless the situation's perfect. Maybe that's true. But like, you had to imagine there's booster money coming in somewhere. I don't, I don't know if it's enough booster money to make him like nuts with what well, we'll see. But anyway, he's a really good coach. He does a lot of things really well. I also think like the way they man- <laughs> they manage the clock at the end of the first half was like borderline embarrassing. Yes. Um There were four seconds. So first of all, they, they, Butcher it. Jordan McLeod's pissed because he wanted to go down and try to score again. They then, with four seconds left, initially ran out the punt unit. That would only lead to, like, maybe a blocked punt in the final. Like, no benefit to that. I think they called a timeout and, like, reset and were like, oh, let's just run around for four seconds. That was jarring that they ran the punt unit out. The, the end of the game where all they do is run the ball. There's some stuff they do where I'm like, what, the, What are you doing? But they still do so many other things really well in terms of, like, I think their general scheme. I would say their, like, recruiting and culture is phenomenal. He kills the transfer portal. Like, McLeod is very good. There's a case that Lawton's the best running back. Surratt looks like he might be ooh, the best receiver. Todd like,
2: Senteo last year.
1: Senteo last year. He's done a – Chroma as a transfer. Like, Chris Thornton was a transfer. They've done so many things through the portal that are unbelievably good while also retaining – a lot of their main core, like everything, like I love Signetti. I think he's doing great. (laughs) This is the longest qualifier. (laughs) No, I'm just saying we're picking nits because like, I think he's phenomenally good in the majority of things that you need to do well, which is like recruiting, like a good culture, right. Developing players. And then like the portal, he's killing that. So if you have like the occasional in game, like coaching mistake, I don't care. Cause like, it's a matter of like, are they going to go 11 and one or 10 and two or nine and three? Like they're all pretty good. Yeah. Especially for your second year transitioning. Right. Like how do you build a defensive line this impressive? And then I was like, Oh, they don't have the depth. They're not gonna be able to hold up. Like, how is it going to work? They just run out like only six guys and they still have the best defensive line for like most of the game. It's impressive.
2: Yeah. It's very impressive. Uh, So yeah, we are picking knits. We think there are things that you can, that, that could be improved and, in my opinion, I think if you pr- improve them, this team then becomes leaps and bounds the best team in the Sun Belt. Yeah. I think they are the best team in the Sun Belt right now, uh, according to my power rankings that like you can find at jamiesportsnews.com. Uh, But I think they could just become so much better. Like I think there is a, a a huge, huge opportunity to see this team grow, and I think this bye week does come at a perfect time. Uh, as as cliche as that may sound, they they have an opportunity to rest up. They have an opportunity to figure out this relationship with McLeod. I think if this relationship with McLeod can be figured out, not only does that help this season, that helps next season too, because McLeod still has another year of eligibility if he wants to take it. Now there's a lot of great guys coming in the, in the uh, recruiting class uh, and Barnett is still there. So who knows what McLeod decides to do at the end of the season, but that's a relationship you got to fix. And I think if you fix it, this team can be, Extremely good this year and next. And I think we can see McLeod take a really, really awesome leap. But like you said, this is all nitpicking. There are things to pick. They are pretty big nits, but they but they are at the end of the day nits. So that takes us into this week's news or snooze. Bennett will give me three quotes. I'm going to say if they're newsworthy or if they're snoozeworthy. We got a lot of content this week from uh, some press conferences.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about this. We we got some good ones. I'll start with one here uh, from Kurt Cignetti. No one is satisfied, but this team plays hard. They have one vision. They're together and they fly around, about 85% of them. We got two or three on the offensive side mainly that can step it up a little bit. First part of that
2: quote, snoozeworthy. Very much coach speak. Second part, newsworthy for him saying – like. About 85%. We're flying around. We're doing everything we need to do, you know, control to control. About 85%. I mean, you say some guys on offense that can step up? Yeah. Yeah, he definitely means Jordan McLeod.
1: Yeah, which is why it's hilarious. Like some of his comments where he's like, we're flying around. We do everything we need to do. And he's like, except for two or three of us. (laughs) Like imagine being one of those players here and that. Like maybe that's a motivating thing that he knows it'll like fire guys up.
2: It motivated Maybe. him uh, going into the Troy game. Remember when he was like, we suck yeah. during practice.
1: He he knows what he's doing with the media, right? And he uses it as sort of like a tool, I think, to fire people up. And some of it makes sense. Even just like on a, a baseline level with us, like we tweet out graphics or post graphics on social or, or certain stats and like the players see it pretty quick. Yeah. So like they see the quotes, like there's no chance they're <laughs> missing the quotes,
0: <laughs> which
1: yeah. is entertaining indeed. Okay, number two. There's a lot, a lot of really good ones here to pick from. Um, here yeah, we'll go with this one. The whole organization is completely fatigued, but we had one more in us today. The schedule was kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you. Kurt Snedden,
2: snoozeworthy. He can complain about a schedule all he wants. I don't, I don't care. You won the games. You did what you needed to do. No, no, no point in lamenting about it now. You have the buy week, go to the bye week, figure it out. You went on the road three. You know what this means? At the end of the season, they're not on the road as often.
1: I was thinking about that. They're the rest of their road trip. So they've got three. They've got every uh, big one out of the way. Marshall's not that hard. Georgia state's pretty easy. Cause Atlanta is like an easy to city to get to. And then you got coastal in the last game of the season. Like those are super manageable. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah, it sucked, but now if you take it from a view of, like, looking forward, it, it doesn't matter. Again, I think that's something he's using the media to kind of yeah get his point. I out.
1: also – I just thought it was really funny, the first part, where he's like, we're completely fatigued, but only after we got one more dub, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I also love the whole organization. Okay, the third like, one I think is the best one, but it's a long one uh breeze reporter i think it was jackson hefner asked him oh
2: he came out is this the one where he came after jackson kind of a
1: a good question though that got a really it was a
2: great question but do you have the whole quote yeah okay
1: so he he asked him um if he was concerned that the wins were like by single digits he (laughs) he laughs and he goes i don't get the question to be honest with you the object is to win we're playing good football teams I mean, we've done something that right now a lot of people in the country are surprised at, right? I don't know if that's entirely true, but anyway, now we have to do a better job of putting. You didn't say
2: up. that, folks. That was that was Bennett's aside. That
1: was me adding that in. I, I don't know how shocked. I think people are like impressed by it, but I don't know if there's like a like a floored national thing where it's like
2: these guys, what it, they're doing. It's here? not like last year. I think last yeah, year think they were shocked. I think this year they're like, okay, good for them. Like, oh, they're good.
1: Okay. Anyway, now he says uh, this is Signetti. Now we have to do a better job of putting people away. We should have put this team away. And the reason we didn't was our own doing. We should have put Utah State away. I know what our talent level on this team is. I know who our people are. I know what our potential capabilities are. And there's still some positions where we're still sort of improving. Let's just put it that way. And then he had a couple other things. And then at the end, he was like, do I wish we put more teams away quicker? Yeah. But do I like the question? No. So,
2: was a great question, amazing question by Jackson to get that type of answer and for Signetti to also answer it. Mm-hmm. Like that's also, it's newsworthy though. It is a bad thing that they are getting up big on teams and against Utah State, they're outscored 31 to seven at one point. Then they were only able to score one offensive touchdown after the Zach Horton uh, play action bootleg in the fourth quarter. They were helped immensely from a Jalen Green deflected pass pick six. At the end of the day, that score counts. But that is this game where they won, thanks in large, large part, to a defensive touchdown. And that's the UVA game. They won because of a block special teams touchdown. So those are things that like you can't count on week in and week out. And they are getting, uh, what, two out of the last three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. So at a 50% clip to win these games. Uh, so it is concerning that your offense – does enough early but then you just can't keep the pedal to the metal as it goes on and it is extremely extremely concerning i'm glad signetti said that i'm glad jackson asked that question that's a newsworthy quote i'm a little upset you didn't bring up this quote uh there was a lot of talk about it but the quote was the plays are there but we aren't executing yeah that's a very concerning quote to me because the logic isn't doesn't follow how so? The, the The plays are there, but we aren't executing. I don't think the plays are there.
1: I think he in the passing game when like when he has Horton in the flat and doesn't throw it. I think that's what they're frustrated okay. with. Where he think he thinks the plays that they're calling pass plays in the third quarter are open, and he misses them. McLeod. Okay. I think so. I think he's shifting responsibility kind of kind of a lot to be like well jordan is in executing and some of it i think is is fair um but some of it i think the play calling right is a little yeah a little bit predictable I, I also kind of push back a little on his quote where he says um like you know that the object is just to win the game like a, a one point win is the same as a 30 point win i don't think that's true at all like it, it is to a certain in college football it's not right because like The teams you're playing are very different. And in the whole postseason process, the way you're perceived nationally um, is is based a lot on now you get like all these different different analytical metrics. So the more you win by, the better your metrics look. Right. Um, And then you're also looking like when they go to the 12 team playoff, um, the group of five gets a, a bid like the way it'll probably go is like one group of five team will be included in the 12 team playoff. Whereas the power five teams, if you win your, if you win the PAC 12, well, the PAC 12 is dead. If you win like the, the big 10, right. You're in, if you're in the Sun Belt, you're not necessarily in, like you still have to be ranked higher than the other four group of five conference champions. So you have to go out and like have some style points. He's like, style points don't matter. Well, they will. And they're the yeah. reason Jamie is not actually in the top 25. They're receiving votes so when it comes to, like, national perception, which can help a lot with recruiting and all these other things, um, I do kind of think margin matters at least a little bit. Obviously, you'd rather win than lose, but the margin factors yes, in so. how you get viewed, yeah.
2: Um, can you extrapolate on 25 is my max?
1: Yeah, another important quote here. JMU um, ran a little, you know, they stick a camera up and they put, like, a question on the camera. Yeah. And then the players answer, and it becomes a social media video. Yeah. Ask how many chicken nuggets guys could eat in one sitting.
2: McLeod's only 25.
1: McLeod, even for Chick fil A nuggets, he said 25 would be his max. Is that concerning to you? Well, yeah. I think could put down 40 pretty easily.
2: I mean, it, not if you're looking for this, but there is a live stream video of me eating as many nuggets as I can in an hour. Sure. Uh, I tried That's to eat good. 100. This is all college for you. I got to like 73. That's a lot in one sitting if you go no I, actually if I'm looking back and I, I could uh, change one thing it would be to add a a dipping sauce I went I went dry nuggets dry McDonald's nuggets I was thinking well my goal was to get to 100 so I was thinking any sauce would take up precious space but then at a, a certain point you just get tired of chewing so I know my max is like 75. So the fact that my starting quarterback of my college, my alma mater, can only get to 25, that's really, really scary. I'm just saying. My max is 75. I'm also a 6'2", 250 dude. Uh, Jordan McLeod is much smaller than me, so I probably have a lot more stomach space than he does. But I got to see him get to 35, 40 if he needs to be my quarterback that I believe in moving forward. I agree. Jordan McLeod, I challenge you. I'm looking into the camera. Jordan McLeod, I challenge you to a nugget eating contest. I'll win. I don't even know why I'm challenging. That's an easy dub.
1: Give it would be me. nice if Signetti slipped that into a future press conference where he's like, "What's he not doing outside of football?" It's like, "Well, he barely eats any chicken nuggets." <laughs> Get your weight. <laughs> put out. me into the press box
2: at post game after like a after a blowout win against uh, you know I don't know Georgia Southern. You put me up there. I'd be like, Coach, can we talk about Jordan McLeod's chicken nugget habits? <laughs> well. I might be overreacting to that uh, chicken nugget take from Jordan McLeod. And, you know, some JMU fans may be overreacting to JMU's performance up until this point of the season. It's time for a little overreaction corner. Bennett, are you ready?
1: Yeah, let's hit. Let's
2: do it. So, these Sun Belt Conference recruiting classes are no joke, and it's only getting better. Our very own Ben Hoffer said that one.
1: He is following recruiting for us, so I'll trust, I'll trust his gut here.
2: Yeah, that was more of a plug for
1: his recruiting character.
2: Uh second one, just a reminder that Jane, this one is hilarious to me. Just a reminder that is way more likely to go 12 and 0 than they are 0 and 5, 1 and 4, 2 and 3, 3 and 2, and 4 and 1 this year. That's correct. Yep. That math works. That, that math is awesome. They're sunsetting the food race. Did you know this?
1: I'm actually okay with this. Those were like,
0: Oh,
1: whoa. whoa <laughs> those were whoa, so an, annoying. They were so annoyingly elaborate where it was like, Oh, who's going to win. And then it's like, Oh, they're all doing some sort of orc orchestrated dance at midfield. And it's like, why don't you just race true? <laughs> honest to God. Who's the fastest there. That's what we did with the running fight and fills, right? You just ran wasn't staged. It did was just pure competition. No, I went like 0 and 15. They tried to rig one for me, and, and one one of the four didn't agree, and he passed me late. It was, it was tough.
2: Uh, for background real quick, Bennett did work for the Reading Fighting Phils for a summer and was part of mascot races.
1: That's exactly right.
2: This team is good, but they'd be getting much more national respect and attention if they were beating these teams by as much as they should be at Bubba underscore Fisk on Twitter. That's Great. exactly what Bennett was talking about. This team, if they were 5-0 and with an average margin of victory of 15, I think they're ranked. Even if all they had to do is – well, all, <laughs> all they had to do
1: <laughs> was, was <the> dominate <laughs> UVA on the road. If Go out there, up. buck 50, in the trenches. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it's – um. But if they like held on for a like a two or three touchdown win against Utah State and the same against South Alabama, I think they might be ranked. Like it's it's the fact that they have only one possession wins against FBS teams and the fact that UBA can't close a gosh darn uh, win. Yeah, uh,
2: Jordan McLeod is a baller, and I don't understand the negative buzz. I trust him slinging the rock. He's elusive, one of the best, if not the best, QB in the Sun Belt. Will Byrnes. what do you think? Like I said, I think Jordan McLeod's the best quarterback in the Sun Belt for 75% of a game. I need to see him try and figure out in the third quarter, kind of the second half. I would love to see a game where Kurt Signetti doesn't take the ball out of his hand. We've also seen him be great in a do-or-die situation, which is the weirdest thing. Like, against UVA, 12 minutes left, you're down two scores, and you have to play through McLeod. And what does he do? He leads you to a comeback. Like, he makes the right plays when they're there. It's just a very, very weird whole kind of situation unfolding in Bridgeforth.
1: The way he ran the ball on Saturday had me very excited. So, if they can career high, yeah, if they can figure out that relationship you mentioned, it it could be impressive stuff the rest of the way.
2: Maybe not an overreaction. And maybe it's because I had a good buzz going. Shout out, Steak Sauce. But I didn't get the same heart palpitations in this game that I got from other games. Steak Sauce.
1: Yeah, I would agree. There was never a point in the fourth quarter where the other team had the ball. And if they would have scored on that position, they would have the lead. Right. That happened in all the other games or they trailed in the fourth quarter against UVA. Like they only, they were down, they were up eight, but like South Alabama's best case late in the game was to drive down and tie the game on like a last minute drive. So yeah, that makes sense because the other games were closer. Yes, I agree.
2: Okay. I never really got nervous during that game.
1: It wasn't that scary now.
2: I texted a friend of mine, Tyler, and I was like, it was like the third quarter before the comeback had like started from South Alabama. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so cool. Like, I'm not stressed at all. And then I texted her in the fourth quarter, and I was just like, F-bomb. I didn't text the word. I just said F-bomb. Zach Horton looks like what I was told Kyle Pitts was supposed to be mo. Stop it. You know, Johnny I mean, Smith on a fantasy yeah. perspective has outscored Kyle Pitts this season. That's wild. You know, Kyle Pitts, Zach Horton had 67% of Kyle Pitts's career touchdown catches in one game.
1: When he does that for an NFL team, come back. back. (laughs) If this team comes out hot in
2: the second half, they could beat 95%, if not more, of college football. The defensive front is elite, and the offense is great when clicking.
1: They look like a top 25 team
2: when they're playing well. I would agree. It's funny how how different they look. The conservative second-half game plans to keep games close is a strategic move to ensure... (laughs) The Dukes are not ranked when they are playing Georgia Southern. Billy G. I love this overreaction. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, it makes sense, right? They went into Georgia Southern 5-0, I believe off of the bye week. I think they were off of bye, yeah. Ranked in the top 25, and Georgia Southern pulled out the win. This week, you don't want the same happening. They're 5-0. and Don't get ranked. Barely even get any votes. That way, Georgia Southern doesn't have that over you when they beat us. Smart. Elijah Surratt is the best receiver on the team
1: based off of Saturday. Yeah. I still think Reggie Brown is, is pretty solid, but he had a, a tough game in terms of drops. Surratt's probably got the best hands.
2: I think Surratt is a fantastic compliment to Reggie Brown.
1: Oh, there's a long one.
2: We can't keep relying on the defense to save us in the second half. It has to be draining for the defense to watch the offense play such uninspiring football in the second half. We're going to keep playing like this until we lose because of it.
1: I understand that take. I also kind of think they're just going to like figure some stuff out and start playing better. I do too. I think Georgia Southern,
2: we're going to see a different team. I think maybe this this might be a hot take. I think they'll play a full four quarters of football against Georgia Southern.
1: They're not as far off as people think. And they also are like getting a little discredited for like erasing a double digit deficit against
2: UVA in the fourth quarter. Yes. Because UVA is also 0 and 5 though. So that doesn't help. But they do have
1: one possession losses to NC state and Boston college as well. So it's not like they're like total crap, but they're, they're crap. they are starting to, you know, they're a little bit stinky.
2: Yeah. A uh, couple of listener questions. This one's, what do you think of the chances of Barnett entering the portal? That's from Oppie at underscore Meerkat underscore 1457.
0: I don't
1: think it's likely. If there's one thing power five teams love, it's film of somebody playing one game and struggling against Bucknell. Like, I don't think he's going to have like a million offers. Like he's a good player, but it's he's got a clear path to eventually becoming the guy at JMU if he wants it. And he just he has a, to show up on a Saturday.
2: He also has a really good shot at winning the job next year. Just based off of the comments made this year.
1: Dude, if McLeod, if McLeod doesn't figure it out and they have a game where they're up like 21 in the second half, like would it be crazy if they gave Barnett like a series? Like, all right, man, like make an underneath throw. Yeah. So I don't know. I think he's still got a good path if he if he wants to go that way. And if he does transfer, he'd probably have to go to a a different G five that's maybe in a less like winning position. Like a Mac. Yeah, I don't know.
2: Why is Liberty classified as a school rather than a church with a football team?
1: <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know.
2: <laughs> How many more wins until Jamie Nation freaks out and says we should be in a New Year's Six? I think that's already happening.
1: <laughs> Two. <laughs> if, they, if they beat Georgia Southern and Marshall, every Jamie fan on the internet, especially with the Thursday game being on TV for the rest especially of the Especially you. Yeah, for the rest of the week's gonna be like, look, they're they're the best. They deserve a waiver. <laughs> yeah, it's close, I think, to becoming just like full fledged mayhem, although we've it's, already got the uh state attorney general. Yeah, right it's now. it's
2: teetering right now. Yeah. How do we fix the third quarter production on offense? That's from Ryan.
1: Pass. Well, maybe Barnett gets third quarters. <laughs> Actually, not a bad idea. McLeod's just like. Chilling and, and putting well, down 25 chicken nuggets <laughs> in 15 <laughs> minutes. What's that? About a
2: one point, was that a 25 nuggets in 15 minutes? About a 1.5 nugget per minute pace? Similar to that, yeah. Right right in that range. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. That's a that's actually a really slow pace. <laughs> you gotta think if he has 15 minutes to get down 25 nuggets, is he eating them at that 1.5 pace? Or do you think he eats 20? five in a minute because we all can do that right and then just coasting much like how the jmu offense puts up a 25 point lead and coasts through the rest of the game
1: that's a good question and do you take barnett out then with like a really bloated mcleod (laughs) i think you might have to leave barnett in if mcleod just ate 25 nuggets we got to get to one of these like monday sundell press conferences and be like (laughs) coach (laughs) some people have floated the idea of McLeod just being a third quarter chicken nugget guy rather than a QB. <laughs> what are your thoughts?
2: Um, But in all honesty, how to fix a third quarter prop. I think it's get more successful on first down. I think a lot of the issues stem from the inability to get positive plays on a consistent basis on first down, thus setting up seconds and third and longs. And when Signetti is up big in a game, he has a propensity to decide to run a halfback draw on second and long and then be completely okay with just taking the L and running it up the gut on third and long, taking up the full play clock the next time, and really just trying to shorten the game any way he can. It also helps slash doesn't help if you're a fan like us, that Ryan Hansen's one of the best, if not the best punter in the entire nation. Right. That man is a amazing punter. So I think Signetti is 100% okay. With just like giving him the ball, being like, can you pin him inside the 15? And Hanson's like, easy.
1: Yeah, he likes punting. I love punting. Well, that's
2: right. Anything else you want to add on this uh, behemoth of a podcast? Do you want to do Sunbelt Pick'em? Oh, oh, thank you so much for reminding me to do Sunbelt Pick'em. I got bodied last week. Folks, it's time, baby. I finally have the lead in Sunbelt Pick'em. Not only a lead, I have a two-game lead over Bennett after he absolutely sucked this last week. I'm sitting at 46 and 11. Bennett just 44 and 13. So we have a jam-packed game of uh Sunbelt Weekly Pick'em. Uh, only about four games on the docket <laughs> this week, though. so um, Bennett, you you got you got your work cut out for you if you want to come back this week.
1: Jam-packed with the, one of the lightest schedules.
2: <laughs> uh, what happened last week? Before we dive into this slate that has five games, uh, what happened? You went four and four.
1: That's pretty bad.
2: That's terrible.
1: That's pretty. I'm trying to think of where I got.
2: You got uh, Texas Georgia State, State. wrong. Yeah. You got Southern Miss. You picked the worst team in the Sun Belt to take yeah. down one of the most efficient
1: offenses. Yeah. You
2: picked South Alabama.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a forgot. (laughs) (laughs) What else? Oh, I picked UMass. Yeah, that was what was I thinking?
2: All right. right. This week, we got Marshall at NC State. I like Marshall here.
1: I'm a little worried because NC State's making a quarterback switch to MJ Morris, which could be a positive, but I'll take Marshall. I think Marshall's got a really nice team.
2: I'm going to go with Marshall, too. I think this is like a low-scoring slugfest with NC State's new quarterback and Marshall doesn't know that they invented the forward pass um so i think marshall scored 41 last week cool against two old dominion yeah cool i could score 41 against old dominion old dominion
1: held texas a&m to nine commerce all right odu southern miss southern miss no 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 no, no. wait wait i'm picking odu I mean, i'm taking helped. odu i'm taking odu sorry i got my my wire's crossed. <laughs> Clearly, Southern Miss stinks. They're, They're favored, though. They shouldn't be. These Both these teams suck, and I wouldn't recommend watching this game.
2: Take, take ODU on the money line, and Texas State goes to Louisiana to take on the raging Cajuns. Take Texas State on the money line. Texas State is, like, plus 115 right now. They have the second most efficient rushing offense in the entire nation, led by LSU transfer uh, TJ Finley. And they have one of the best, if not the best, Offenses in the Sun Belt based off of expected points added, and they're the number one team in the entire Sun Belt in EPA margin.
1: Fraud Louisiana wins this game.
2: You're wrong. All right. Glad I just got a game lead. Arkansas
1: State at Troy. Arkansas State. State. <laughs> State. Sneakily a wagon. Three wins in a row. This team has their sights set on a Sunbelt championship. I think they lose Detroit, though.
2: In my Sunbelt power rankings that you can find at www.jmusportsnews.com, I uh, said that Arkansas State, the Red Wolves, boy, have they come a long way from Butch Jones crying on the sidelines. He may return to crying on the sidelines this week against Troy. Troy shut down Georgia State on Saturday.
1: Troy's pretty good. They have a good football.
2: South Alabama ULM it's in Monroe ULM lost on a walk-off field goal to app state. Who do you got?
1: I've got South Alabama. Although South Alabama is sneaky close to looking like a fraud.
2: Not quite. I'm taking ULM. Oh wow. This sneaky things happen in Monroe, Louisiana. ULM showed me enough offensively that I think they may may be able to get to uh, South Alabama's defense. And I think this will be a high scoring game that ULM will bounce back from that 41 40 loss against App State with a big time win over an SBC West contender.
1: Nice. So we will be tied after this weekend. That's cool. Uh, awfully bold of someone that just went four and four. 500. We turtled a little bit, but we, we feel good about it. No,
2: we didn't. I, I <laughs> dominated. I'm 46 and 11 on the season. You're 44 and 13. Get out of here with turtling.
1: It's like uh, LeBron. LeBron's doing his picks just straight what? up. He's not even doing it against the spread. Yeah, those are <laughs> bull. Even though that's <laughs> you exactly are letting we're us know your
2: picks, LeBron. <laughs> um, I will say it is hilarious because I think you went from having only one loss the week before yeah. to a four and four week.
1: Yeah, bad week, but uh, we're trying to get better. Obviously, the ex exec- the plays are there, right? The the picks are there. It's just the execution right now. That's, that's uh,
2: execution on the guys. All right, anything else you got to add before we hop up and out of here? No,
1: we'll talk about uh, some Olympic sports soon. And then basketball is only a month away.
2: Yeah. We got to have a robust basketball preview. Uh, we'll start planning that. If there's anything you want specifically in the basketball preview, let us know. You can email us at JMU sports news at gmail.com. DM us, mention us on Twitter, whatever it may be. JMU sports news across the social landscape. This has been the JMU sports news podcast presented by bet online. Be sure to like rate and subscribe wherever you You are listening until next week. See ya.